Well, good morning, Grace. My name is Jake. I co-direct the high school ministry here. And I was informed from multiple people that my voice was coming through on the live stream during worship. So if you're at home and you're wondering, who is that angelic voice you're hearing? <laughs> or really, actually, I'm sorry for what you probably heard, but uh, <laughs> good to be with you all today. <laughs> well, let me start us out with a hypothetical situation, okay? Sunday service ends, you stand up, you talk to a few people, everything's normal. You get up out of this building and walk out to your car. And you get to your car, and lo and behold, right there in front of you is God. Okay, I don't know how you picture God, if you're picturing Jesus or, you know, glowing ball of light, whatever, but somehow you know right there in front of you, there is God. And God says to you, I'm going to do something special today, okay? Pray one thing on behalf of this church, and you have my guarantee it will be answered. Okay, offer one prayer on behalf of Grace Long Beach, and I will do it. What would you pray? What would be your prayer? And for some of us, it might be, God, fill this sanctuary with people. Right? That's, that's what we want to see. Or a, a great prayer would be, God, there's so much uh, division in the world. Bring unity in this church. That'd be a great prayer, too. If you're one of our Action Company or Embody students, your prayer might be, God, please make our leaders give us an extra hour of scatterball on Wednesday nights. Amen, Simon? That's right. Or God, please make the sermons 10 minutes shorter. It will not be answered today. <laughs> but really, for most of us, probably, in the very limited time that I gave you to think about that, our answer would really be, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the one thing would be that uh, I would pray for our church. And, you know, for actually a lot of us, it might be, well, I'm not even sure completely what I'm supposed to pray for our church. There's so many possible things that I could pray for this church. Well, we're in a series on the prayers of God's people where we are looking at how through Scripture, all throughout, uh, the, the prayers that are offered to God can be models for how we pray to God. And so today we're going to look at a prayer that the Apostle Paul offers on behalf of a church. And this can be a model for us to think, well, maybe how can we pray for our church? Now, to be fair, this isn't the only prayer that Paul ever prayed for a church. It's not even the only prayer in this letter that we're looking at today. Um, but here's the thing. We're people that believe that ultimately these words are not from a human author, but they are from the Spirit of God inspiring them. And so that means more than just Paul writing out a prayer to a specific church at a specific time, this is the prayer that the Spirit of God is offering on behalf of the church in all times, in all places. And so if this is the Spirit's prayer for a church, this can inform how we pray for our church today. 
So you can go ahead and open up, if you haven't already, to Ephesians chapter 3. You'll need your Bible today open in front of you, so go ahead and grab one. Um, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, and we will be in verses 14 through, really 19, but kind of through 21 today. Now, I want to start by giving us a little bit of context for this prayer, because here's the thing. It is a very complicated prayer, okay? I chose this prayer because I thought, man, there's so much cool stuff in here. There'll be so much fun stuff to preach on. And actually, my dad, who's a preacher, who's here today, said, um, how much time do you have? I said, 30 minutes? Okay, so you know, he was right. There's a lot going on here. And part of what makes this prayer a little bit complicated is that in the Greek, in the language it was written in, it is one long 86-word run-on sentence. Okay, in case you missed that, it is one long 86-word run-on sentence. And, and not that this is what the sermon's about, but just how interesting that a spirit-inspired prayer can sound like an 86-word run-on sentence. Right? For those of you who are bad at grammar, that's good news. And for teachers, think twice before grading down your students. Right? It might be spirit-inspired. <laughs> well, not, not really. But, um, but how interesting. Right? Prayer comes in many different shapes and sizes and forms. But it's a little bit complicated for us, and, and different translations try and make sense of what is happening in this prayer, in the structure of it, um, you know, what's the skeleton of it. So the ESV, what we're using today, it just keeps it all as one long, confusing sentence. Uh, if you have the NIV, I think it splits it up into two sentences. If you're using the NRSV, I think it's four sentences. And basically, this is just trying to get at, what is the structure of this prayer? Okay, what's the skeleton? What's the way that this prayer is moving? And so uh, I am not a biblical scholar, but I do know a little Greek, and I read a ton of commentaries this week. So here is my take uh, based on not the English grammar, but the Greek grammar of how this prayer is structured. So Eli, you can put that slide up. Um, so I've bolded and underlined the movements of what this prayer is, okay? So there's really three parts to it. You can see, you can look for the that's, and that is what's cueing us into what the prayer is. To make it a little bit simpler to see, Eli, next slide. So here's really what the movements of Paul's prayer. He's saying, I pray that you, church, may be strengthened with power so that you will be able to comprehend and know so that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, that's the movement of this prayer. To make it even a little bit easier, uh, Elijah, you can next slide. So really, this is a prayer. I pray for power that leads to perspective, which results in God's presence. So we're going to go through these three movements today and see how does Paul pray this, how does the Spirit through Paul pray this, and how might this inform how we should pray for our church, Okay. All right, so first off, Paul prays for power on behalf of this church. And he asks that this is a power that's going to come from God. So look at verse 14. So for this reason, 
here's the prayer, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the first thing that Paul is saying is he's thinking, what am I going to pray for this church? Is that he wants them to be a church that is strengthened with the power of God. And and the first thing I want us to notice today is that this is a, a power that comes from God. Specifically, he says that according to the riches of his glory, God would give you strength. And, and kind of dumb, but the way I'm picturing this is that God in heaven has the, the first universal bank of God's glory, and he's, ta- he's withdrawing some of his power, and he's depositing it down to the church. Okay, the power that spoke the universe into existence, the power that breathed life into human beings, the power that knit you together in your mother's womb, the power that... Uh, the power that brought Jesus Christ back from the dead is the power that Paul is praying. Give that to your church. Strengthen us with that power. And he makes it clear, though, that this isn't, it's not going to happen through, like, going to the gym or through, like, a protein shake or something, but this is something that is power from God given through God. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Uh, Verse 17, kind of the way the English renders it makes it seem like it's a result, but a lot of people think this is actually just a parallel way of saying that same thing. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The way God's power comes to the church is through God himself, through the spirit, through Jesus And it's not an external thing, but it's through the Spirit in your inner being. It's through Jesus dwelling in our heart. That's how this power is uh, is made available to the church. Now, why should we pray this? Why is this something that is a good prayer to pray on behalf of Grace Long Beach? Well, I think the reason why, or a reason why, is because we can be really tempted to forget the fact that we need God's power to make this happen. Okay, this is kind of a scary quote. Maybe it's not nuanced enough, but uh, I think people are able of running what looks like a really successful church on the power of humans. And, and really doing that without God's power. And actually, Grace, I think this is a big temptation for us. And the reason why is because we are an extremely competent church. Okay, the amount of master's degrees here, the amount of PhDs here, the amount of people who are just really good at what they do, um, some of the financial stability that by God's grace we've been given, those are all great things. But if we're forgetting where our power comes from, those great things can easily become a temptation. We can figure it out. We've got the money to do this. We know what we're doing. This is a really embarrassing example, 
uh, but it's one from my own life that happened this past week. Um, so youth group happens, and, you know, we make it through the night. Of course, I'm exhausted, as we all are, after <laughs> Wednesday night. And I get home, and honestly, I just feel kind of crummy. And to be honest, I had a sense of, like, man, did anything good happen tonight? Um, you know, my sermon didn't quite go off the way I was hoping. And so I, I just sit down, and I'm processing through my night, and I realized in all the prepping, in all the planning, in all the conversations, there was something that I had forgotten to do. <laughs> Can you guess what that might be? Yeah, I hadn't prayed. That's bad if your youth pastor's forgetting to pray. I'm sorry. Um, but I realized, man, it is so easy to do church and to forget where the church gets its power from. Okay, I didn't, I, in all the craziness and all the prepping and all the planning, I did not stop and pray. And I don't think I'm maybe the only one who ever has that failure. You know, in all our initiatives and all our planning and all the good thinking and all the good stuff we do as a church, we need to pray for God's power, not only so that he'll give it to us, but so that we'll remember we need it. That's where our power comes from. So Paul prays for power. But the question is, well, how does this power work out? Okay, God's giving us this power to the church. What is the result of it? Because when I hear power from the Spirit, my mind goes to, like, Samson, right? And he, like, goes and kills 600 people and breaks buildings apart. And it's like, well, I don't think that's what we're called to, right? So how does this power work itself out in the church? And so what we see now, in, uh, starting in verse 17, is that this is a power that works itself out in a different perspective, a fuller perspective. This power that comes from God, given through God, dwelling inside of us, makes itself evident to the church in a new understanding of something. Verse 17, starting mid-sentence. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here's the next movement. That you, church being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, it's a church-wide activity, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The result of this power that God's giving to us is not something that is necessarily outward evident uh, in the way that like muscles or, you know, breaking a building apart are. But this power shows up in the church by, to use the words of the text, comprehending the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's, it's funny in the Greek and the ESV keeps this. There is no object to the breadth, length, height, and depth. But what is Paul talking about? Well, we don't know for sure, but I, I think he, he's talking about love, right? This seems to be a, a passage about knowing God's love. And Paul is saying, if I can see the power of God in this church, I'll know it because you as a people will be growing not in the knowledge of how much you love Jesus, but how much Jesus loves you. 
If you are growing in understanding the, the love of Jesus that is so high you'll never climb to the top of it, so deep you will never swim to the bottom of it, so this way, so that way you'll never get to the end of it, something that you can't even comprehend and know because it's so big you'll never fully grasp it. God's power is working in you. The image that I have of this is, um, you know, we live by the beach, Long Beach, um, by the ocean, and so I think, well, hey, I could never actually go down to the sand. I could drive by the beach and see the Pacific Ocean and say, okay, to some degree, uh, to some degree, I know what the ocean is, right? Because I've seen it with my eyes. I get it. It's big. It's vast. But if the next week I were to actually go down onto the shore and walk across the hot sand and put my feet into the water as it comes in and touches my feet, pulls back, leaves that foam on there. That's now a whole new knowledge that I have of the ocean, isn't it? It's a much fuller knowledge. And if the next week I said, hey, I'm actually going to go swim in this, and I jump out and I swim, and as I'm there, I feel the current lift me up and then drop me down. You guys know. We live by the beach. That's a much fuller knowledge than just dipping my feet in it. And then I've never done this, I know some of you have. If I were to say, hey, I'm going to put on scuba gear and I'm going to dive down into the depths of the ocean. I'm going to go way down there. I'm going to see things that most people don't see because they're honestly afraid to go that deep. Well, now my knowledge of the ocean would be way more than it was than when I had just seen it, dipped my feet in, swam in it. It's an experiential knowledge. And I think that's what's Paul, well, that, what, that is what Paul is talking about here. That as we grow in our understanding of God's love, this is something experiential. Okay, this is something that, um, that as life goes on, we're never going to reach the end, but as the cheesy statement says, it's not about the journey, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, right? And we as a group of people as we do life together, as we look at God's word, and as we display the love of Christ to one another, our experience of this love, which to some degree is unknowable, will be felt more and more and more. We're not just going to see the love of Christ, we're going to dip our feet in it. Then we're going to swim in it. Then we're going to dive down into the depths of it and see things that we never thought we could see before. Now, why do we need to pray this? <clears throat> I think we need to pray this because we need to remember that growing in the understanding of Jesus' love for us is a church growth metric that matters to God. If I said to you guys, okay, we're starting today for the whole next year, we are going to pray every day as a church for God's power to be made evident in this church. And we're going to come back a year later from now, and we're going to say, how did we see that show up? What do you think you might anticipate you would see? I know for me, there, there are some very specific things, I, and probably same with you. Well, if God's power is in this church, then a year from now, there's going to be a hundred more people here on a Sunday morning. The balcony is going to be full again, right? 
If I prayed every day for God's power to be made evident in this church, then over the next year, giving is going to double. Amen, Beth? Yeah, amen. Uh, If God's power came down into this church over the next year, then a year from now, if I say, hey, I go to Grace Long Beach, someone's going to say, oh, Grace Long Beach? I've heard about that church. There's some really exciting stuff about that church. Can can we talk? I want to know what's going on there. Okay, we might expect numerical growth, financial growth, uh, influential growth. And hear me say, those are all good things, right? Those are things to pray for. Um, those are things that I think <clears throat> can come from the Spirit of God uh, and the God's power. But how funny that when the Spirit of God, through Paul, prays for power to be made evident in the church, the thing he asks them to grow in is not numbers or finances or influence, I want you to grow in understanding how much Jesus Christ loves every single one of you and us as a group of people. I wonder if we said, you know what, let's come back a year from now and let's take stock of how much more aware of we of God's love than when we were a year ago. What would that look like? We need to pray for God's... uh, We need to pray for this perspective, not only so that we will be given it, but so that we'll remember that growing in the knowledge of God's love is a growth metric that matters to God. Okay, last movement of this prayer. So, Paul prays for power to give perspective, power that leads to perspective, but even this isn't the end goal. There's one more thing. And uh, if you've zoned out, I zone out all the time in sermons, no shame. Um, Come back in right now, because this ultimately is what Paul is praying for. This ultimately is what the Spirit is praying for. And that's that this power that gives perspective would result in God's presence. Paul's prayer is that we as a church would be filled with God. Verse 19 So it says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The ultimate prayer, the thing that the Spirit is praying through Paul for the church in Ephesus and for Grace Long Beach today is that we, as we gather together, as we do life together, as we grow in the knowledge of love and display that to one another, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm going to say that again because of the fact that it's so crazy, that we as a people would be filled with all the fullness, oh, there it goes, of God. You know, if you look back in chapter 2, verse 22, you'll see that this was already actually something Paul said was true of the church. Actually, jump back a a little bit more. Jump back to uh, verse 19. So then he's speaking to Gentiles, non-Jewish believers who have been brought into God's family. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Do you know how God sees us? He sees us as his holy temple. Verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And I think here we're not only getting the Spirit's prayer for the church, but the vision of what the church is. Okay, that this is supposed to be a place as we gather and do life together where God dwells. Right, you think back to the, the Old Testament. God dwelled in the tabernacle, right? This portable tent that would be brought around and set up, and, and they would know God's presence was there because a cloud would descend on it. And then it got upgraded a bit under Solomon. They built a temple, right? And we learn about how the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then we go to the New Testament. It's even more wonderful. The entire presence of God is present in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? And then Jesus uh, raises from the dead. He ascends back to God the Father. And what's the Spirit's goal now? It's that we would be the dwelling place of God. That this church would be the dwelling place of God. That Grace Long Beach, as we display the love of God to one another, would be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that something? Do we think about church that way? Here's why we need to pray for this. Here's why I need to pray for this. Full disclosure here. What happens here is often so much less spectacular than what happens out there. Right? If I'm going to be honest, if you said, Jake, what's your favorite place on earth? It would not be 3601 Linden Avenue on a Sunday morning. Okay, my, my favorite place on earth would be 1313 Disneyland Drive. Right? <laughs> because it, within an hour... I've been at Disneyland. I can go to a galaxy far, far away. I can go to the Wild West. I can go, you know, fight pirates. It's spectacular. Uh, I can, before coming to church, watch a giant purple alien with glowing stones on his hands fight the God of Thunder. And then I come here, and, and the God I hear about sometimes, it's less clear how fantastic he is. For some of us, and I'm not guilting you because this is me, the first place my mind goes to when the sermon starts is not God, not Scripture, but Mike Trout swinging a baseball bat. Right? We're transfixed on how far can someone throw a ball and someone catch it? How, how fast can someone throw a ball and someone else can hit it? Oh my goodness, it's so spectacular. It is spectacular. That's awesome. Thank goodness baseball's back. You know, for some of us, yeah, the community at Grace is good, People are good, friendly people. I like them. But if I'm honest, my real community's at my book club. It's on my soccer team. You know, yeah, the, the kids at youth group, 
they're okay. They're not the worst. They're, they're fine. But um, really, where I feel at home is, is at school. Now, I'm not guilting anybody for saying this. And again, hey, I feel some of this too. It's true that what is out there, the world is spectacular. But I think one of the reasons we need to pray for God's presence to fill us is not just so that it would happen, but so that we would remember what is actually going on here. There's a scene in The Wizard of Oz uh, where at the end, um, you know, they're standing before the wizard and he's, just, he's this superimposing giant floating head, super scary, and then Dorothy, uh, Dorothy's dog Toto runs over, pulls back the curtain, and what's revealed is just an ordinary guy, right? Nothing special. Here's what this prayer does for us. It's just the opposite of that. We look at each other and we see just ordinary people. But if Toto were to run and pull back the, the, the curtain of this church, you know what we would see? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working here. A dwelling place for God by His Spirit. All the fullness of God dwelling here. And I wonder if that's what I pictured this as, how would that change the way I came on a Sunday morning? How would that change my participation in mops? What attitude would I come with to embody or action company on a Wednesday night? On the monthly men's gathering, if I said, when God's people are gathered together, his goal is for his presence to dwell there, how might that inform how I see what is actually going on here behind the scenes? We need to pray this prayer so that we will remember not only what we're becoming, but who we are. So bottom line is this. This prayer is a gift to us. It's not the only prayer for the church. There's many things to pray for our church. But it's a gift because it shows how the Spirit of God prays for a church. For power, that leads to a fuller perspective of God's love for all of us, resulting in God's presence dwelling in the midst of us. That's something worth praying for. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God.